If you can hear this message, listen closely. To the exiled, misunderstood, or upside down, this is your message of hope. When problems come, use them. When enemies persecute you, love them. These struggles are a fire, refining you into gold. Look around. You are not forgotten. You are not alone. Challenge what is expected of you. This world is not your home. You are different. Well, I came ready to preach today. I hope someone's ready to receive God's word. Welcome all visitors, friends, those of you that uh, might be listening to us online. Today we're in uh, part four of a message series called Different. Um, If you're joining us, we're actually looking at the high points. We're going through the book of 1 Peter, um, and we've been doing this for the past three weeks. And as you look at the way Peter wrote, he was very direct. Uh, This book's very clear. He says over and over again that this world is not our home. As, As believers in Christ, we've read over and over again, this world is not our home. If you are Jesus' father, you're called to be different. You're called to be set apart. You're called to be holy. And today I want to bring to you what I believe is very possibly the most encouraging message that you did not want to hear. You think that's possible? This may be the most encouraging message that you did not want to hear. Jesus promised us several different things in, in Scripture as he walked on, on earth uh, let me show you, first of all, what Jesus did not promise us. Uh, Jesus never promised us that we'd be rich, right? Never promised us that. Jesus never promised us if we follow him that we would be happy, happy all the time. Jesus never promised us that you would uh, not get your heart broken by someone that you're dating or even married. And Jesus never promised us that life would be easy. But... He did promise us this. If you are a faithful follower of Christ, if you are set apart, if you're different, Jesus promised us that the world would hate us and the world would persecute us. That's right. And and that's why I'd like to welcome you to At The Cross Ministries where we make you feel good about yourselves. The most encouraging message that you never wanted to hear. Today I want to talk about a different perspective in the face of persecution. And we'll start with the words of Jesus and we're going to dive right back into the book of 1 Peter. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 15, 18, and 20. Jesus said, If the world hates you, keep in mind, that it hated me first. If they persecuted me, Jesus said, they will persecute you also. Today we're talking about a different perspective in persecution. And what I want to do, in case you weren't here in the previous weeks, is give you a little background of the context of the book of 1 Peter. See, we got some guests here today. Uh, P- Peter was writing this letter to First. Uh, century Christian believers. Um, And this was during a time of extreme uh, Christian persecution. Extreme 
persecution. Uh, they were being literally often tortured under the uh, very evil emperor named Nero, who, among other things, uh, Nero killed his mother. Uh, he killed his, uh, over political differences, by the way, this is why he killed the mother. He also killed his first wife, Octavius, and many historians believe that he also killed his second wife as well. Uh, he was evil beyond measure. I, I've read up a lot about Nero's reign, and, and it's unbelievable. This guy had a, an insatiable lust to build. And when the Senate wouldn't let him tear down portions of Rome, most historians believe that, well, he set fire to it. He set fire to his own city. And this was a massive fire. It burned for nine days. It destroyed three-quarters of this once great city. It was absolutely destroyed. It was devastated. These were a people of the arts. Their buildings were very important to them. Their statues, their art, it really meant everything to them. Up in blaze. And so Nero blames the Christians and he says, they did it. They did it. And so the already persecuted Christians now face a persecution that we wouldn't believe. You had not only people in political power, not people just in the Jewish circles of authority, but now you had common everyday residents, right? You burnt our city down. Get them. It was time for pitchforks, right? Go get them. And Nero, let me just explain, as I told you already, this guy was literally insane. He went from kind of being crazy, actually at one point, uh, 20 years earlier, um, he was pretty highly touted, he had cut taxes, he was, he was very much into the arts, he was making sure that money was spread around, and he was pretty actually, pretty popular early on. But whether mental illness came into play or what, but a downward slide happened, and it got real bad, real ugly, real fast. He was not only murderous, but he loved to think of new and creative ways to intimidate his own guard in killing innocent people. You fast forward today, and it really depends on what part of the world that you live in. In fact, there are parts of the world, maybe someone listening online uh, knows this, the persecution for believers in, in Christ is extreme. And many of us who live in the United States, the, per- the persecution may not be as extreme, but I promise you, across the world, it's very, very real. And what I hope you'll understand is, is in in the world today, there is still an astonishing amount of Christian persecution that's happening. In fact, most people would argue that the persecution level today is at its worst level in the history of the world. Let me say this again. Almost every article or study that you'll read will say that the last decade has represented the worst decade in the history of Christianity in the persecution around our world. In fact, the statistics are, are staggering. In, in an average month, an average month, over 300 Christians are killed for following Jesus. 300 Christians. 
on an average month, over 200 churches will be burned or completely destroyed. In an average 30-day period, there's upwards close to 800 followers of Christ who will be beaten, tortured, raped, or imprisoned for following their faith. And friends, these are conservative numbers. Uh, Earlier this year, uh, at the World Summit in Defense of Persecuted Christians, Franklin Graham met with our Vice President, Michael Pence, and other government officials, and he reported and condemned Christian genocide that's happening worldwide. That's what he called it, Christian genocide. His group reported over 100,000 Christians are being killed a year because of their faith in Christ. Now, this is over a 10-year period. There have been some pretty big wars. Congo, you know, tons and tons of of people um, murdered. So this is a little bit skewed as far as per year, but the number is real. This is based off the 10-year period. So this group report over 100,000 Christians are killed a year because of their faith in Christ, with some 600 persecuted believers and advocates representing 130 countries showed up to this big convention. Quote, I am sure the number of Christians who are in prison or martyred each year would stagger our minds if we really knew what the total number really was. Graham Graham told the opening session of this inaugural World Summit in defense of Christians. And quote, and it would send us to our knees in sorrow and in prayer if we knew. The figure of 100,000 martyrs that Graham cited originates from the center for the study of global Christianity, CSGC, and includes all Christians who have lost their lives prematurely in situations of witness as a result of human hostility. We need to keep the persecuted in our prayers always. In some parts of the world, you may lose a family member for your faith. In another part of the world, you may lose a job. In some parts of the world, you may be beaten. In other parts of the world, you may not be invited to the popular party after school because of your faith. All of it, in its different forms, is persecution. And Jesus said, if you follow me, the world will hate you and you will be persecuted. And that why today this will be, for many of you, the most encouraging message that you never wanted to hear. Let's dive into 1 Peter and take a look at what he said. He said a lot about this subject, and I pray that I would speak to some people today, inspire your faith. We're not meant to just feel bad for the persecution that's going on in the world. We'll see what's supposed to happen to us when we hear of persecution and experience persecution. I hope your faith, you're encouraged you to live even more bolder for the one that's given his life for you. This is what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He said, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through. As if something strange were happening to you. He's telling these people who are hurting, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised that if you're living boldly for Jesus, 
that you would face opposition. See, if you're living boldly, if you're set apart, if you're different, don't be shocked when you're criticized. Don't be surprised if you're ridiculed or when you face spiritual opposition. Many of you might be thinking, well, you know, I can't really think of a time that I ever really faced opposition for my faith. And I think we'll start right there and maybe try to understand potentially why that might be. For example, Tuesday, I was fortunate enough to go and watch my son play his first football, home football game of the year. I will boast for just a moment of his God-given abilities. He rushed over 100 yards and scored twice. I told him every score he better drop to his knee and point up to our Lord and Savior. I was so proud of him. But let's just imagine for a moment you're the opponent. Let's just say that you're on the field playing and I'm on Austin's team, but I'm sitting on the bench. I'm on the bench. I'm not in the game. And let's just say that I've got a water bottle. You've got a drink. It's, it's hot. And I'm just kind of flipping it on the sidelines. And I take a sip once in a while, put it down, and I'm talking to my friends. And, oh, I brought my phone, and, and I'm texting some people. And, and I'm flirting with the, the cute cheerleader, K- Katie. She's over on the sideline. I'm, I'm looking at her. I'm not paying any attention to the game, right? If you're my opponent, are you concerned about me impacting the game at all or not? You guys can all yell no at me. No, no, not at all, not one bit. If on the other hand, let's say I'm a really good player, they've they've let me onto the team. I'm no longer water bottle, bottle flipping. I've put the phone away. I, I, I'm not looking at the cheerleaders and I'm engaged and I'm in the game and I'm ready to score. And if you're my opponent, if you're my enemy, are you concerned about me then? The answer is yes. Yes, you are. And you're going to do anything to stop me, Right? The same is true when it comes to spiritual things. If you are on Team Jesus, if you have the the jersey on, you believe in Christ, but you're on the bench. In other words, you're wearing the jersey, but you're not in the game. You're on the sidelines. I mean, you'll, you'll come to church every now and then because you got to do that when you're on the team. You'll show up to the game, but you're not really engaged. You're not praying for miracles and asking God to do something and interceding on the behalf of others and tapping boldly into the power that God has and, and going before His throne of grace, believing that He would help people in their time of need, no matter the situation. You've got gifts and talents, 
but you're not using them to further God's kingdom. You could make a difference, and, and you know it, but you let somebody else play instead. You're not giving generously. You, you may tip a little bit here and there, but you're not strategically, prayerfully asking how I can use what God has given me, time, talent, and resources to influence others, to be generous, to make a difference in the world. You believe in Jesus, but you're not representing him boldly. You haven't invited anyone to church, and you're not really sharing your faith outside of these walls. You've got the jersey on, but you're not in the game. The same is true in that example that your enemy takes no notice of you. The moment, though, that you engage, you have a spiritual enemy who takes notice, and you will face opposition. The most encouraging message that you don't want to hear. Imagine a soldier. He's enlisted into service and he's on the front lines and he's got his gun and he's battling and and bullets are flying overhand. He throws down the gun and he runs to his commanding chief and he says, Sir, sir, they're shooting at me. What's he going to say to him? What'd you think was going to happen? We're at war. We have to understand Christianity is not a playground. It's a battleground. Spiritual warfare. When you engage in battle, you will face opposition. If you never ever face any sense of real spiritual opposition, maybe it's because you're not in the front lines, engaging in the battle in the way that God would want you to. That's why Peter said, hey, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're facing. These Christians, these early Christians were engaged. They were spreading the good news in the face of the opposition. They were scattered. If you go through the book of Acts... And the sermon was originally about four hours long. I trimmed it down. But you get caught up in the book of Acts. And as you go through about, you know, starting chapter 2, you see the, all the great things. And, and, and the church is the birth of the church. And everyone's sharing and, and giving and doing all these great things. And you go a little bit further and get to about 3 and then 4 and 5 and 6. And persecution starts happening. The birth of the church came. There was all this great thing. They were running through the streets. They were popping up churches everywhere. And then Peter and John get arrested. Then then they get warned. Then they get flogged. Then Stephen's arrested and he's dragged outside the city. He's stoned to death. And then it starts rolling. And then the next chapter that you get into says the church was persecuted and they scattered. This may be very well some of the remnants of of the scattering. Go to the next chapter, next chapter. They they were scattered. Go to a couple, there was was persecution. So Acts gives us a a, a sense of what was going on in the early church. And and it was awesome. And and there was growth. And this is, is, you know, seven weeks post Christ's resurrection, right? He visited with them about 40 days. You have the day of Pentecost. You do a little math. It's about seven weeks or so 
and the church is just getting started. Things are really just getting rolling, and, and we don't have the dates for when this persecution started, but if you read it, it sounds like it happened pretty quickly, pretty fast. Now, when Peter said fiery trials, it's very likely that he was being literal. When he said fiery, amongst other things, what Nero would do, this guy was real sick in the mind. We touched on it on week one. One of the things Nero would do is he would would take animal skins, dead animals, and take their skins and skim them and put them around these Christians And he would put them into a cage and then release wild dogs on them until they were mauled to death. And the fiery part, very likely Peter is referring to what Nero would do, is is he would take the Christians that they captured, they would dip them in a hot wax, they would then take them out encased in hot wax, burnt, probably barely alive, They would then take them and tie them around a tree and light them on fire. And Nero and his guests would celebrate, sipping their wine and watching basically a human candle light up the sky. He would be entertained with the suffering and dying Christians. And that's who Peter's talking to here. And he says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that you are facing, as if Something strange were happening to you today. If Peter was writing this message in in this year, in 2017, that we would be living in here, he would probably adjust the way he said it. Perhaps he's writing to someone in in the Middle East. East. He might say, don't be surprised if you lose a loved one because of their faith in Christ. He's writing to a new Christian in a predominantly Muslim country. He might say, don't be surprised if your family turns on you and you face extraordinary danger because of your faith in Christ. If you were writing to a freshman girl in a university in the United States, he might say, don't be surprised if you don't get a second date because you have a stance of moral purity. Don't be surprised if he doesn't call because you've stood up for moral purity. Don't be surprised, Peter said, at the fiery trial that you are facing. You're in the game. You're, you're on the front lines. You're making a difference. You're rattling the darkness of hell. Don't be surprised if you face opposition. Then he says this, uh, the most encouraging message that you didn't want to hear. He, he said instead in, in verse 13, He said, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. Is that different or what? Be glad. Be thankful when you're persecuted for your faith. You'll be partners with Christ. So that you'll have this wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. Why is it that so many of us would say, well, I've never really experienced anything like this. 
I think it's, it's partly, you know, the culture. It, it's so convincing. It has us believing that. The most important thing for many of us is the pursuit of comfort. I mean, I'll be honest. I would rather have a comfortable conversation than one that's filled with confrontation, right? Maybe you as well. I'd rather have a nice, easy day than one that's filled with pain and trials. Comfort is something that we so often will pursue at all costs, even in the name of Jesus. When we pray, God, help me have a good day. Boy, God, I I pray, bless me, you know, keep keep me safe. Don't let anything happen to us. God, watch over us today. Bless this food. You know, help our kids, protect us, keep us comfortable, keep us safe. God, God, in Jesus' name, amen. And essentially what we, we want is let's avoid conflict at all costs. Let's dodge any opposition. And so therefore we're gonna take the path of least resistance some of the time. And then how does this play out? Maybe you're at a party and you, you kind of give in to smoke or, or drink, what, whatever they're smoking or drinking. Why? Because you don't want to be anybody to make fun of you. You don't want to be that person that stands out. It, it's not that big of a deal. You just kind of want to you know, fit in. Maybe it's, that's you. You, you, you don't correct someone when they say something racist or, or sexist. You, you just kind of stand by and go, oh, yeah, well, I don't think that, but they said that. And I'm, just, I'm just sitting here. You know what's wrong, but you don't want to be uncomfortable or make them uncomfortable, so you don't say anything. Maybe if, that if someone asks you, are, are you a follower of Christ? And, and of course you'll say yes, but you don't start the conversation with the fact of, I'm a follower of Jesus, how about you? You'd rather just let it kind of come out that way. You're in your workplace. You don't want people making fun of you. You don't want to be that guy or that girl that they talk about, that Jesus freak. And, and there we are sort of living this, this life of pursuing comfort. In fact, what I want to do is I want to show you just a couple of cycles. I, I want to thank my sister. She, she absolutely took her God-given gifts and helped me with this. You can go ahead and, and click it up there. Um, I'm so thankful. Um, but I think that this will help uh, everyone kind of see sort of where we're at. And I want you to think about these two cycles and ask yourself, which one most represents your life over, over the last week? Just take the last week. It kinda, I, I can't remember much further than that. I don't know about you. Last week. Now let me show you the, the, the first one. It, it looks like this. This would be kind of what culture says. Above all else, we're going to pursue comfort. We, we want to be happy. And so when we pursue comfort, then, then that forces us in many ways to avoid opposition. I don't want you to upset anybody. I don't want to make anybody mad. You know, I just want to have a good day out there. But the problem is, is when we avoid opposition, our faith, it, it just seems to weaken. We're not standing for anything. We're not passionate about much. And our faith feels distant to Christ. And, and then we wake up one day and we feel very, very empty Life feels so empty. There's got to be something more. So what do I do? I'm going to pursue comfort. 
And maybe, maybe this thing, that place, the, these many likes, that relationship, whatever it is, maybe that will fill my void. Pursue comfort, avoid anything difficult. Wait, why don't I feel close to Christ? I need to have something else out there that's going to make me happy. But there's another way to live. But let me warn you, you have to be different. And the only way you really live like this is when you recognize that you are a foreigner in this world. You're a stranger. You're a pilgrim. You're a sojourner. That these words that Peter used, you're just passing through. But actually, you come from a heavenly kingdom, and you serve a king that is not from this world. And his standards are very, very different. He teaches you to love when people hate. He teaches you to give even when people have taken advantage of you. He teaches you to turn the other cheek. He teaches you that if someone asks for your shirt, you give them your jacket too. I mean, his teaching is radical. It's completely different from what others have been teaching previously. And there's a totally different cycle that looks like this. When you are instead living boldly for Christ, standing up, sharing him, expressing his love, suddenly when you live boldly, guess what you do? You do, you face opposition. The most encouraging message that you didn't want to hear. Why? Because you're in the game. You're making a difference. But the strange thing is that when you face opposition, your faith tends to strengthen. There's something about it when you're living by faith, when you're on the edge, when you're comfortably uncomfortable, meaning that you're living by faith and not by sight. Then one day you wake up and realize, wow, I am so much closer to Christ. How'd this happen? His word is alive in me. He's guiding me daily. I'm walking with him. I feel his presence. Suddenly you find yourself living even more boldly than ever before. Look at these and and if you will, ask yourself, which cycle best represents your life in the last week? When you're comfortable avoiding any kind of trouble, kind of not really close to Jesus, empty life pursuing comfort or instead we're we're living boldly or you're facing some opposition were you experiencing the closeness and saying i feel you lord draw me even closer to you and it stirs up even more intimately to share your faith with others which one would you say best represents your life in the past week the most encouraging message that you didn't want to hear That when you're different from your world, from this world, the world will not always like you. But these trials will make you partners with Christ. Partners with Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 19. To me, this is such a strong verse when we think of the suffering. This is what Peter says. He says, so if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, 
Keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to the God who created you. For he will never, ever fail you. Keep on doing what is right. And, and, and trust our lives to the God who created you. Because he will never, ever fail us. Powerful, yes? Partners in Christ. He will never fail you. This, this is a principle that I try to, to live by. I don't always get it right, but I pray this will speak volume to someone. And, and the principles is this. In, in every area of your life, in your family, in your finances, in your relationships, in your work life, whenever you're peer pressured, any area of your life, do what's right and trust God with the results. Do what's right, trust God with the results. What do we do? How do we live? As, as Jesus followers, we do what is right, and we trust God with the results. We don't cut corners. We, we don't take shortcuts. We don't try to do what we think will get us to the end result faster. We do what's right, and we trust God with the results. If we have to have a hard conversation, we're going to have that hard conversation. If we have to confess something, let's confess something. We have to stand up and say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I'm not going to be involved in that, even though it might cost me, whatever the cost may be. It might be a friendship, a position at a job, a status in this world. It might cost you. As Jesus followers, what do we do? We do what is right. We trust God with the results. And as long as you're suffering for doing something good, keep doing that. And trust in God who will never, ever fail you. The most encouraging message that you never wanted to hear. If you are like this world, the world will love you as its own. Right? You'll never be persecuted. If you are a follower of Jesus, you cannot be like this world. You understand this. There's a big difference there. You won't raise your kids to, to live like this world. You won't use your money like this world. You won't have, you'll have different morals than the rest of the world. You'll have different values. You'll have different types of conversations from this world. And if you are not like this world, guess what? The world will hate you at times. Is that fun? No, it's not fun. But the odd thing is, is it does something in you and you recognize that I am a follower of Christ. And it builds some kind of a boldness. It, it, it starts transforming you. It makes you different. Living it out in Christ. I had someone tell me, it looks like Christian persecution and, and our rights as Christians, are, they're coming more and more sort of a part of this world that we're living in, right? We're losing these rights. Persecution is coming this way. You know, you think things could, could get worse. He says, does that ever scare you? And the answer I said is, no, not at all, not one bit. And, and in fact, to be quite honest, it actually excites me a little bit. And I say this with all due respect, uh, not in comparison to some of the things that are happening throughout the world today, but I truly believe persecution never has hurted the church. It has always strengthened the church. Persecution never weakens faith. It causes our roots to grow deeper in the things that matter. And when we face some persecution, you know, it puts some stakes out there. It, it matters. 
It matters. If we're following Christ, we're willing to stand up for some things and to be persecuted if we're ready for that. Let me show you the slide one more time and look at again which slide best represents you. Be honest with yourself. We're not grading this here, right? This is, this is for you. And you, like most people, life is about you, your, your comfort. What can I get? Avoid opposition. Your faith is weaker. Life is empty. And so you're on this continual pursuit of something that's not going to matter if we're not of this world. Or are you one that has died to yourself? And, and Christ, you're living boldly through him. And sure, you face some opposition sometimes, but your faith is strong. And you're closer to Christ than you've ever been before in your life. And it continues to build your faith. Which one best represents you? This was what Peter says in chapter 5, verse 5 through 7. And I I love the fact that he's speaking to the the people that are really, really grieving in persecution. And, And watch what he says. He says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He, he says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time our God will lift you up in honor. Now watch what Peter says. He says, give your worries and cares to God, because God cares about you. I want to pause for a moment and just recognize that there are a lot of people that are hurting right now. Before we, char- we started this church, Back in April, Katie and I, we, we went through some of this spiritual warfare we experienced at first hand. And I'm so thankful that, that my aunt had actually spoken to Katie personally and had warned her beforehand, which I knew nothing about. And actually, I was finishing up in seminary, and one of my last classes, one of the very last chapters, uh, was on spiritual warfare. And I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't really buy into it. I didn't really buy into it. And, um, and not that I didn't believe, I just kind of, you know, I hadn't felt it in my life. I hadn't experienced it. It's real. And I encourage you to experience it. When these first century Christians were going through this, and Peter's writing this letter... When we're sitting on the sidelines, we don't even know what, what, what spiritual warfare is. And when you start to become engaged, when you start to get ready to get going in the church, you, when you're excited for Jesus, and, and I was studying the, the books, and, and my wife was sacrificing and supporting me uh, right alongside. <sighs> Satan rolled in. And uh, there's a lot of pain in this world. And this is what Peter said he, w- he was saying to the people who, who, whose lives were at risk. Not, not just an attack. Our lives weren't r- at risk. It was tough, but our lives were okay. Give your cares, another version says. Cast your cares, the word in, in the Greek, literally is a fishing term. Like the fishermen would, would cast their nets out. Probably wouldn't be like that. Kind of be like that, right? <laughs> to cast. <laughs> because he cares for you. Cast your cares on God because he cares for you. 
if you're living different, if you're being bold for Christ, you may and probably bet on facing spiritual warfare or an opposition. It may come in the form of persecution. It may be in some other way. We experienced it in a different way. Then what do you do? Let it build your faith. You cast your cares upon Jesus. Why? Because he cares for you. Because he suffered for you. And then this is how Peter's finishing up his letter. He says this in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 through 11. He says this. This is really beautiful. He says, so after you've suffered for a little while, this is what our God will do. For those of you that are suffering, after you've suffered for a little while, our God will restore. He will support. He will strengthen. And he will place you on a firm foundation. After you've suffered for a little while, what will our God do? He will restore you. He will support you. He will strengthen you. He will place you on a firm foundation. All, plow, all power to him forever. Hear the word of God. After you have suffered for a little while, just because you're suffering doesn't mean you're not following Christ. The fact that you are suffering, though, may be a direct indication that you're in the game. There's spiritual opposition. Opposition. After you've suffered for a little while, what will our God do? He will restore us. I, I needed restoration. I was broken down. He will support us. My, my relationship with, with my wife needed support. We were tired. He will strengthen you. He, he lifted us up to make us stronger, to rely on him and not just ourselves. And to have faith in what he promised. His strength is made perfect and he will put you on a firm foundation. I like that. <laughs> Not, you know, something that we would build. The rock of his son, Jesus. If you continue to do what is right and trust in him, you will see the faithfulness of God. And he will reveal himself to you. I promise you. He will never fail you. He will never let you down. This is our God. He is good. He is worthy of praise. He's worthy of our honor. And that's why we don't serve the customs of this world. We're set apart. God has called us to be different, holy as he is holy. And when you are, don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, when people don't understand you, when they persecute you, when they stop inviting you to the party, when the coworkers are in the corner joking about you. Don't be surprised. But you continue to do what's right and trust in God with the results. After you have suffered for a little while, our God, he will restore you, support you, strengthen you. All praises go to him. What a God, huh? What a God. I want to open up the invitation today. I want to encourage you in your faith. This, this series was incredible. This, uh, short little book. You can read Peter, the uh, first book of Peter in 20 minutes. We just kind of glanced through it. I, I encourage you to read it um, a few years after 
uh, Peter finished 2 Peter, which was just a few years after he finished 1 Peter, uh, history has that he was killed by Nero, crucified. And history also states that Peter said, I am not worthy to be crucified as Christ, so he was crucified upside down. Paul's demise was also, he was beheaded, uh, history states, through Nero, and they put his head on the block and, and lopped it off. This was real persecution. The Roman Empire was exploding in, in the mid-60s here. They went on, I had a couple maps, I didn't want to make the lesson any longer, but it, Basically, if you take a look at, in your Bible, a couple maps, uh, the Roman Empire grew and grew and grew. And so they, had, they ruled with an iron fist. And the persecution was unbearable. But yet, historians and, and, and people who have studied this for a long time say persecution today is even worse than then. Which, which was amazing. I mean, obviously believable and I read plenty about it and, and but yet you know in, where we live in our culture it's kind of so distant you know life and death persecution um, Jesus promises it's coming whether it we experience it like some other countries are experiencing it or or uh, what we we're not really sure but um, persecution is real but it just like the Old Testament it gives us it points to us to turn to Jesus, to, to dig our roots in, to, to strengthen ourselves in our relationship with him. Later after services, I hope you all join us. We're going to celebrate Tim's baptism. Uh, Tim has uh, already accepted Christ as his Savior. He, he's turned, he repented of his sin. So, so we will go today and baptize him in the presence of God, our Father, his Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Um, I did want to invite you to also proclaim your love and commitment to Jesus if you haven't done so your commitment to our Lord what do I have to do what do I got to do you can come forward today I'll personally pray with you you can accept Christ right today right here right now you can repent we can turn away from your sins you can accept Christ as our Savior Believe all God's truths that are written in his holy word, the Bible. It's not a big show. We don't, there's not a whole bunch of hoops that we have to jump through. Jesus made it very easy for us. We are washed by the blood of Jesus, and as we are baptized, we connect with his death, burial, and resurrection. We are made new in him, and we are washed by his blood and come up new out of the water. So I'm excited for Tim, and, and I encourage anyone that's feeling that in your heart. It's not by accident. There's a purpose to that. And don't, don't fight it. Listen to the Lord's calling. And we can all stand for the imitation songs. I'm going to ask you all to raise your hands high. The song for an invitation is Touch the Sky by Hillsong United. <laughs> 